Cassidy Tamboro. This is an oral history podcast on people's lives during the coronavirus pandemic. You'll be hearing from college students, an essential worker, people living in New Jersey near the hotbed of corona outbreaks, as well as a college professor. These people are sharing their stories and answering questions on how they have been living during quarantine. I'm Cooper Campbell. I'm 23 years old and I'm a PR major at Western. It was so far away and even though you guess you don't really think about the fact that like people are traveling like thousands of times a day so it's really not that far but um before it started affecting my life i remember in february i went to get a haircut it was early february and i just kind of felt a little bit weird because at this point we knew it was spreading but um like we weren't really told to do anything and so i remember the haircut felt a little weird i was like kind of paranoid about like everyone around me but you know at that point we were still going to classes so it kind of, I don't know. Yeah. Um, did you think it could ever get this serious on a global level? I mean, I don't think anyone really did, but what are your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, I think it's always like, I didn't imagine that it would be, like it would turn out the way that it turned out, but I definitely think that I'm, I'm not surprised that it spread and that it's turned into a huge deal. I think it's just like the specifics of how our daily lives look, like no one would have anticipated. like quarantine and no one would have anticipated social distancing like even as a term so yeah in that sense no it's hard to anticipate like what things look like um what do you miss the most about normal life um I miss like hugging people and then I also kind of miss um like social interactions where I don't have like that nagging feeling like oh my gosh I could be like exposing people and not know because I think that's it's kind of weird and it adds like a tinge of guilt to everything you do you're like oh I didn't really need to go to Target today to get you know that new shampoo or I didn't really need to like see this person and so it's like I'm gonna continue to live my life and be smart about it but there is this kind of thought in the back of my mind like what if I have it and I don't know Probably pretty similar to what I was doing before, just like a little bit more of social interaction is happening like digitally. Um, I think the biggest change is I spend a lot more time like on my phone in the morning in bed. Um, Usually I'm like, try not to do that because I think it's bad, but also I'm like, well, like where am I going? So like might as well like use up all my time limits on Twitter and Instagram like before I've even gotten out of bed. Um, So I think like, I don't know, I've been doing a lot of walks. I think my time spent outside versus inside is probably about the same. It's just I'm spending like less time like with people. Mm-hmm. Um, have you started any new hobbies or any new interests, new books or shows or anything that you might have not gotten to do pre-quarantine? Um, I feel like I've been kind of like catching up on podcasts, but I have started reading again, which I hadn't read like a book for pleasure in like literally probably five plus years, maybe longer. Um, just because like college kind of ruins reading I think for a lot of people but um, yeah so I started reading some books like on my Kindle and that has been really fun just to like read and like remember how fun it is to read and remember how fast you can read something you actually like are excited about. Um, What sorts of essential activities do you leave the house to do? Um, Grocery shopping, exercise and walks, um, I also think like social interaction is an essential activity. So like whether you're like coming into contact with people or not, like leaving the house and seeing someone face to face is like essential. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the first thing that you want to do once things go back to normal and feel safe to do so? 
um, brow wax, facial hair. Um, I'm Lauren Waldron. Um, I'm a viola performance major here at Western. Um, I'm 20 years old. This is my second year in college. I transferred here, um, so I'm a first year at Western. I was really, I was kind of angry. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, this is an overreaction. And I was scared too because like my whole, everything I do for my major and like my hopeful career and stuff is like in-person work and doing music with other people and big groups of people. Um, so that was like, I was very fearful at first. Still am, honestly. Like who knows when we're gonna be back to everything. I get to wake up later which is nice most days. I used to have um, like 8 or 9 a.m. classes almost every day in the PAC. Uh, so I had to get up like super early before. and But now I get to wake up at like, the earliest is like 8.30 before my 9 a.m. Zoom class on Mondays, which is like hard now because on other days I wake up at like 9, 9.30, um, which still feels early, but it's really not. Um, and I cook my own meals a lot more. Um, I practice a lot. I practice so much more, which partially is like, I have more motivation to practice because I'm just like, I'm with my own thoughts all the time and I'm able to think about it a lot more, like about my work, um, values that I have for music and apply them in a different way through painting, which is kind of interesting and kind of fun. Um, also like just editing pictures is fun and watching shows that I didn't have time for before getting back into movies I liked. I read a lot more, like reading for enjoyment, which is nice, so. Um, what do you miss the most about normal life? I miss my friends a lot. Like I miss hanging out and going and having events and you know, even just like being in the PAC and sitting at the lower level two downstairs doing homework and stuff and like just chatting with my friends on breaks and stuff like that and like seeing everyone. Um, and I really, really miss playing in my ensembles. Like that's the biggest thing for me. I was the most upset when I found out everything was going to be canceled and I wasn't be able to get, like going to be able to have quartet rehearsal or like performances. Because um, that's my major. Is I'm a performance major. And my biggest passion in that is ensemble work. I mean, I love playing my solo work, too. But, like, for me, collaborating with other musicians is, like, the best thing ever. And now I don't get to really do that anymore. To an extent, we can do, like, on online stuff. But it's not the same. It won't ever be the same. Yeah, I was so. going to ask how that translates to Zoom or what it's like being a musician and a college student specifically studying performance on online and via Zoom. Yeah, it's it's been interesting. Like obviously we can't play through Zoom together. Like that's mm -hmm. that just doesn't work because of the internet lag and stuff like that. Um but lessons like my one on one private lessons have been nice. They're pretty similar to how they are in real life, just without the physical like like my teacher can't like move my hands he just has to like explain it with his words what I need to do but Eric Keen is amazing and he's good at that so um I've been learning a lot with that um but then like my symphony class 
we're not really, we're not actually playing anything. We're, we mostly just have like, we have a weekly discussion where we talk about stuff like what does it mean to be a good colleague or a good stand partner, um, which are very valuable conversations for us to be having. Um, and we, we've been, uh, Dr. Juden Bossel has actually been interviewing professional musicians and then we kind of get to ask questions at the end of the call and have that kind of exposure to like what it's like to be a real, real life professional musician, which is really fun. Um, and we do guided listening, um, assignments where we listen to like symphonic works and then there's questions and we kind of dive into that work and that composer. Um, so it's all very valuable. It's just very different. <laughs> My name's Forrest. I'm 20, just turned 20. I, um, I kind of grew up in an outdoorsy family, so I uh, naturally moved to Washington recently and um, got a job at a restaurant, Busar Thai Cuisine. I'm a geology major. Didn't really think it was real. I was kind of like, that's definitely like some fictional tale. <laughs> and then um, it started to like get serious and stuff and like the news started headlining it a lot. Looking, I'm in a mineralogy class right now and we have to look at a lot of like um, microscope thin sections and stuff like that which are it's really hard to to do over over a computer but um, we're able to like upload upload images and stuff it's just the hand samples that you really really can't get access to um, what do you miss the most about normal life I miss being able to like go and just like socialize with people and just like meet new people I right now I'm looking for a new living situation and just like not being able to like go out there and like like socially interview people is pretty difficult um what does your day-to-day -day life or routine look like in quarantine um depends on I, I still have class that is scheduled at like specific times so I'll be able to like get up pretty early and get going and then I do homework until until I can't anymore, and then I uh, end up going into work, usually, like most weekdays and stuff, and then get home from work, and then it's just different because I'm not like going into classes and stuff. Um, has anything in your job changed? How does that look? How the social distancing is has been implemented? The job is kind of similar. It's obviously no like dying in or anything like that, but we are. Um, we're required to wear, wear masks. We're required to um, just like advise, like caution and stuff to customers, and use personal protective equipment and stuff like that. But otherwise, it's it's pretty much same money, same. I want to go to a party. <laughs> I'm 21. Uh, I went to high school in Port Andres, Washington, and then moved to Arizona to go to college. Uh, then I moved back up for work. Right now I work at NC Machinery, which is a Caterpillar dealership, so I work on a lot of like large construction equipment, stuff like that. And at first I thought it might be something like what we've seen before with just a small outbreak that's contained, um, like what we saw with Ebola. What do you miss the most about normal life and things being open how they used to be? Definitely going to the climbing gym. Uh, rock, going rock climbing. That's definitely, definitely the biggest thing I miss. Um, 
How has your, so you're an essential worker, how has your job changed um, because of social distancing and coronavirus? So we, every morning before work, we would have these meetings. Uh, we'd all go into a conference room, we'd have, we'd have a safety meeting, and then we'd have like a really long one uh, once a week. Um, that's completely changed. So we have those outside or in our shop, which is huge. Um, so everyone can be completely spread out because I work with about 12 other people. Uh, that's one of the biggest things that have changed. Also, how much work has slowed down. I'm doing a lot of stuff that wouldn't, that we wouldn't normally be doing, just uh, trying to keep everybody busy and uh, allow everyone to like stay working. Just cleaning a lot. Uh, a lot of like building maintenance, stuff like that. Like normally I'd be, I'm a mechanic, so I would be working on trucks and construction equipment, stuff like that. But uh, um, that's mostly not happening anymore. It's just a lot of trying to keep us busy around the shop. Yeah, so I'm reading more. Um, I've read two books since quarantine started, which isn't like a lot, but it's more than I've read in the past year. That's mostly it, though. Pretty much just those three things. Grocery shopping, work, and exercise. Um, what is the first thing that you want to do once things get back to normal and it feels safe to you to do so? Uh, renew my climbing gym membership. That's definitely the what I miss the most. What I'm looking forward to getting. Um, my name is Carrie Tamboro. Um, I'm 43 years old. I'm 44. How old am I? What year is this? The 2020. So I'm 40. I'm going to be 45. I'm 44. Um, I live in Creskill, New Jersey, which is uh, the northern tip of uh, New Jersey in the suburbs. And um, right now I'm not working, uh, not because of the quarantine situation, but because I had an injury that has prevented me from uh, doing any kind of work because my arm was crushed and it affected my memory. So right now I'm not able to work regardless of um, the situation with coronavirus. Mm -hmm. So I, haven't, I was unemployed before, and um, hopefully by the time we get back to moving um, in the right direction for coronavirus, I could have a better, you know, feeling for getting a new job. Uh, my, best, my best friend from surgical technology school, so I've known him for... Um, 10, 10, 15, like I've known him for such a long time, probably 10 years. Um, he's married, um, and the man that he's married to, his brother passed away. And his brother was sick and, and died uh, within such a short period of time. It, it seemed like he went into the hospital, and um, then within a week he was dead. So... Um, so that was one incident where I knew somebody who had to go through it, like very close to me because I would talk mm -hmm. to my best friend every day and, um, it went from, okay, he's in the hospital and then it really didn't look good, like very quickly, didn't look good very quickly, um, then as soon as when somebody gets, uh, very sick, I mean, if you're in the hospital, um, they didn't allow family to come in. So his brother had to go into the hospital, um, put on a respirator, and, and 
then, like within within a week, he was gone. But they didn't allow any of his family to go into the hospital room until he was like on his last breath, like on his last day, like when they knew that he was so short of oxygen that he would pass away. That was the only time that they were allowed to see, like, see him be in the same room as him. So it's, uh, you know, um, he went through such heartache so fast and couldn't uh, grieve like everybody else. When they lose somebody, they all have their um, friends come over for dinner, and, you know, you want to be there for your friend, and you want to, you know, go to their funeral and show their respects, but no one was able to do that. And um, that was the first person that I knew. The people I know that have had coronavirus, they passed away. Like, I don't know anybody who said, like, oh, I had a bout of the flu and it turned out to be coronavirus. I haven't, I haven't known anybody like that yet. And in the media, you see a lot of people, including uh, the president, saying things like that. Like, oh, this is just something that's a bad flu. You know, this is something that people recover from and only... Um, those people who have pre-existing conditions, the elderly, which are a ton of people, you know, are the ones who are at risk. But all the people that I knew, none of them, none of them had underlying conditions. This area, I don't know how spiteful you have to be to actually have the nerve to go out without a face mask because so many people and our healthcare workers who are overwhelmed um, you know, you have so much gall to do that to somebody, you know, to actually put others at risk. And the more we hear about the virus, we know that there are just people who show no symptoms. And I don't know why they wouldn't assume that in the beginning, considering we're all breathing the same air and passing it along where you don't have symptoms, and then you pass it along. So, and these are my these are my peers. These are my close friends that I see on Facebook who are still protesting the um, lockdown uh, that I guess I wrote down started in March uh, in March, so March 21st. So um, they they're just very concerned about you know making making their money, and even if they are working from home, because I know they are certain individuals, I know they are. Um, working from home, they still want the country to be open just because they feel like it's against their civil liberties not to be able to do whatever they wanted to do, you know, and and go out and, you know, we've we've also have a huge problem on our beaches right now. Uh, I'm Eileen Tamboro. I am retired. I'm 76 years old. I live in Creskill, New Jersey. Uh, we are a city that is part of the uh, tri-state area of New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, very heavily hit with coronavirus and hit early on with coronavirus. And um, our perspective from my point of view is unique from a place that is less densely populated uh, because, quite honestly, I think unless you are personally involved with friends and family having to go through illness or death, it seems more like a news feature than a reality. Um, The topic of has anything like this ever happened 
uh, as I said, I am older. And in, at the time of 9-11, which on the East Coast was a very major impact, I was working in New York City, and they actually shut the city down that day. Uh, from my building, I worked at a hospital. I saw both towers go down, and we first thought it was an accident. But once the news started coming on, we were told the city was locked down. The five boroughs of New York City were locked down. And we wouldn't be allowed to leave because there could be a um, nuclear and or a germ warfare to follow. And if they let anyone out of Manhattan, it would spread to Connecticut, New Jersey, or wherever people might try to go. So it was a terrifying experience back then because we had never before had legal restrictions in this country uh, as to where we could or could not go, and we never had a terrorism attack of that type on our soil before, a very unusual experience. Uh, Our best, not best friend, a close friend lost their son. The people I worked with all lost family. However, that was a brief period. It left everybody who lived through it scarred, though, unfortunately, because you realize that some things can happen over which you have no control that can permanently change or end your life. And for the most part, none of us really had to live through that before 9-11. And yet to speak to someone, for instance, my daughter lives in North Carolina, Um, She has a very broad spectrum of friends there. But to them, it it seemed more like a news item that a terrorist attack did take place. It was shocking, but it was more of a news item of something you could read about or see on television about without having the emotional involvement. The coronavirus, I feel, is very, very comparable Because in the states and cities that are highly impacted, everyone has an emotional response, not just an intelligent response. And in those areas where there's no density and no great amount of sickness and you don't know someone who has died or who is in a hospital unable to see family or in a nursing home unable to be visited by family, it is not as real. And uh, our current president minimizes most of this on the media so that states where they're not seeing it personally feel, well, maybe it is just newspaper hype. Maybe it is just some sort of a, a broadcaster's conspiracy to make headlines. It's not that, though. And we are now opening up slowly different businesses and industries that um, people will attend and many of them without masks. Unfortunately, even though all scientists internationally have said you must wear a mask to prevent the spread of this virus and you should keep socially distant minimum of six feet, people are so anxious to go out of their houses that they're not paying attention to those warnings and they are going to whatever opening in crowds and unprotected with masks and certainly not keeping a social distance for safety. Having taken so many lives in China, it was already spreading to Europe, 
And then right. there were cases diagnosed in this country as early as November and December of 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, so truly, uh, we didn't have great lead in time to think about, well, what would happen if it came here, because when we were hearing about it, it was already here, and because we're in the New York area, it hit here first hardest. So we didn't have a great deal of lead in time to say, oh, I wonder what would happen if, because it already did happen. Mm-hmm. And the media back in New York is very complete. The governor of New York State has daily uh, information sessions that are broadcast, as does the uh, mayor of the city. And they had been on top of this very early on. So before we had uh, a national interest, so to speak, it was already on daily news in the New York area. And California, uh, Seattle, Seattle had gotten hit very hard, and yet other parts of the state not yet impacted for many different reasons, largely having to do with population, I think. Uh, so the the fears and the awareness of how strangely it seems to be spreading unknown causes and causes that daily seem to be coming up, which is uh, unusual. Uh, these are the fears that most of the East Coast people are living with. You've got a, a combination of fears. A, life is totally different. You are not seeing friends. Most people are gregarious and social. Many people have lost their jobs because businesses have closed down, and we have not yet effectively gotten money to them so they can live. Um, It is a lot of chaos causing hunger, causing fear. You don't have the rent. You don't have the mortgage money. Uh, For retirees my age, we live on a Social Security uh, benefit. And some have pensions, and some have um, money they have invested in different financial products that are supposed to help them live when they retire. It would kick off interest. It would kick off so much a month if you put away for 20 years into it. Well, what's happening now? The stock market reflects the chaos of the finance, and people my age who thought, well, I should have enough money to get through much of my retirement because I saved for 40 years while I worked, that money is just disappearing. Now, you're you're talking to someone who cannot drive. I don't see well enough to drive. So mm-hmm. my life was restricted by that factor before the quarantine. Mm-hmm. Friends would pick me up. Carrie would take me out. But that's not the same as getting out every day or when you want to. Uh, I was always waiting for someone to take me somewhere. And consequently, probably... I have had less, um, I've had fewer restrictions that are new because of the virus. However, it is boring. It is monotonous. Um, you, I mean, you can be a couch potato and watch TV only so many hours. You can be on Internet only so long. Uh, most of us really crave interpersonal relations, and, and that's done. Uh I do telephone chats because with my group, we are more telephone people than social media people, and that's an age thing. Uh, I also don't know as much about uh, social media as you do, certainly, or as Carrie knows, and so therefore I am limited to what 
I can do. Shopping for things that need replacement in a home while when I was able to get out, when stores were open, you could go to the store and if you needed a new hose for your garden, you could look at three or four hoses and choose one. Now it's a matter of going on online and ordering, uh, and it's sight unseen, so it might not be what you want when you do get it. That's a very big change, having to shop online for essential things that local stores uh, are not carrying or if you cannot get to the local store. Uh, it's a, a new experience buying things or replacing things that break down and trees that have had the most success in keeping the hospital admissions and deaths down open very slowly and have had a lot of political criticism because people were spoiled. We don't want to be locked in our houses. We don't want to be told how to live. That's a very childlike way to feel. You know, I want, I want to go out and play. Well, if it's raining or snowing, you tell a child you can't go out and play. It's raining or snowing, you'd get sick. Well, now we have a government telling us you can't go out and play and go to a store and go to a restaurant and meet with your friends because you'll get sick. There's a, a bad germ out there that will make you sick. And we're all kind of childlike in some ways and would like to say, but I want to go. And that's what's happening. We seem to be dividing the country into two camps. And unfortunately, it's becoming a political football um, with conservatives and more liberals uh, creating sides. And no one seems to be very focused on the fact that it's not, if, unless your family or your life is impacted. You can look at it as just, hey, well, look, we'll open up the stores and if 100 people die, well, it's not me. It's a very selfish way to look at it, but there are many people who feel that way. I'll take my chances. Uh, I, I'll take my chances. I'm going to go to the restaurant because I'm sick of being alone in the house. Okay, well, then you go to the restaurant and you come back and you meet a friend in uh, the lobby of your building and you talk to him and you sneeze and you're a carrier and you've just infected your friend, and you don't know it, and he doesn't know it. And then he could sneeze and infect three more people. No face masks to stop any of this. It is, um, and it's something that you only will find about uh, with the tracking that is now going on. They're looking back to see who have you been in contact with over the past several weeks. And when the library opens, I will be thrilled. I'm a very <laughs> big reader, and I have to read large print. And so I, I go through three books a week or so, and um, the libraries have been closed. Uh, I have five books sitting in my house here that have been out for uh, two and a half months now. And the libraries don't even accept books to be dropped off. So I will be thrilled when the libraries are open again, but that's not going to be for a while, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And I don't have a tablet or a Kindle. However, I have been told that there is a way to tap into my library system to get on my computer screen, on my monitor, a print, a print out. Now, whether it will print out in large print or could I enlarge it, I don't know. But I'm looking very strongly to that. That is a hobby. I mean, uh, I've been doing, I've picked up needlework that I had sitting in the house and never finished. I'm knocking that out. And um, I, uh, I, I, don't have books to read, which is a big issue. I'm watching more TV than I ever did. As a matter of fact, sometimes I just have it on, I think, for company because it makes a sound. <laughs> and um, 
I, I think the uh, the getting back with people when when we're really kind of out of the woods, I would love to go out with Carrie and have a nice lunch somewhere or maybe go to a mall and each of us get some kind of an outfit that we can actually try on and see if it fits and um, go back to some sort of uh, innocent way of living, not worrying is the future there. And that's the biggest issue. Lily Robertson. I uh, am a technically senior at Western this year, but um, once the pandemic hit, I came back to stay with my parents in Port Angeles. So that's where I am right now. Um, yeah, my uh, major is law, diversity, and justice with a minor in leadership. Okay. Um, what did you think about the coronavirus before it personally started affecting your life and you first started seeing like the stories about it um, in foreign countries? When it first started happening, I think I didn't take it as seriously along with my other peers. Um, it seemed like just another thing that was happening this year, uh, in, uh, in addition to all the other crazy things that have happened this year, like, you know, the dead body found on campus and stuff. So it just seemed like just another chaotic thing. But I think that when I went on my family spring break trip to Mexico and then the border got closed down, that's when it really hit me that it was pretty serious and that, you know, this isn't just going to be some, like, really bad flu season, you know? Yeah. Um, what were your first thoughts or fears when things started shutting down and the stay-at-home orders were put in place? I think that my biggest uh, fear for myself personally was both, like, my family's health because my um, dad only has one, like, working lung, fully working lung. Um, and I have my aunt is uh, has, like, a is immune compromised um and uh so i was worried about the health of my family not less about myself because at first it didn't really affect young people so i think that i kind of thought that i wasn't as much at risk for it um but then in addition to that just like practical ways i think that um my my fears were mostly like academic you know about especially so close to my graduation date i was wondering like how that's going to affect it and all of the stuff that i wanted to accomplish over the summer and will they have summer classes and um, stuff like that. So I think that my biggest fear since I uh, wasn't working at the time was academic fears as opposed to like losing my job or something like that. Yeah. How has it affected your major specifically? Is there anything that you find challenging with what you're, what you were normally asked to do in your regular in-person classes? Yeah. So, uh, studying law, we did a lot of in-class discussions and clarifying on like really specific terms and, you know, breaking down complicated, uh, you know, systems and stuff, and it's a lot harder to do that online, um, and we aren't getting the same amount of discussion. It's a lot more lecture, which I personally find it hard to understand, especially when it comes to that kind of, um, that kind of a complex topic when there are a lot of little questions about, like, well, what does this mean? What if this happened? And a lot of hypothetical scenarios that are really hard to get clarification on. Definitely socializing. Um, I definitely miss being able to hang out with my friends, and spring quarter at Western is the most fun quarter of the whole year, and so I definitely miss being able to uh, go to the lake with my friends and just being able to have, like, a fire and just doing fun stuff like that and just congregating as a group. <laughs> Class starts probably around, like, 10... Uh, and then I'll have my Zoom class, so I kind of roll out of bed and just log on <laughs> and do the bare minimum at first. But then as my classes go on throughout the day, I kind of I make myself my coffee and I'm listening to my lectures and stuff. Um, and then my classes are back to back, so I get done with one at um, 1.50 and the other one starts at 2. So no real break in between those two. 
Um, and then after my classes are done, I'll try to work on my homework for a few minutes. Uh, but if it's sunny out, I'll go outside and I've been picking up like, uh, painting and watercoloring and just trying to do more stuff like that. Um, I've been reading a lot more too, which is nice. Um, so I'll do that for a couple hours until it starts getting darker outside. Um, and, uh, then we'll come inside and usually my dad will make us dinner. Um, I avoid, my family avoids going out as much as we can. We usually get groceries delivered. Um, so we'll do that. Um, and we'll put together the list all together, which is something that's a little household daily tradition we kind of do. Um, and then we always just end up watching a show or a movie and in the evening, uh, just, you know, to do something everybody all together. Cause everybody's got their own little coronavirus routine quarantine. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess that's pretty much pretty much my day, depending. And then uh, on Mondays and Thursdays, I have rehearsal I, in the evening from 6 to 8, so I'm on Zoom for that um, with my acapella group. To paint more, which is an endeavor. Um, I made a little journal, and I've been trying to do a page every day, so that's kind of fun. Um, and then I learned how to curl my hair with a straightener, which I did not know how to do before, so that's like a fun thing that I learned how to do. Um, and aside from that, uh, I've been just going on walks and runs, which I didn't really do as much before, um, but just a, a chance to like move, you know, cause I would be used to walking to class, which is just like something I would get out and do and move my body every day. But now that I don't have that, I kind of have to make time for it, I guess. Yeah. Um, what sorts of essential activities do you leave the house to do or what kind of things do you see as essential? So the only time that I have left the house is to go to Walmart or to pick up takeout food are the only times I've left the house. I have not um, done any social distancing visits that weren't um, here. Uh, so those are probably the only two places I've gone, and I've only done that like probably less than five times since everything started. Um, what is the first thing that you want to do once things go back to normal and you feel comfortable or safe doing so? Um, go to the lake, um, for sure. I want to go camping, for sure. That would be so fun. Um, I want to go to concerts. Oh my god, I want to go to concerts so badly. <laughs> I just want to see live music and just be able to do that with my friends and Going out to dinner, too. I can't wait. Or breakfast. Going out to breakfast. I love going out to breakfast. And I can't wait to be able to go and sit down and have a cup of diner coffee, you know? <laughs> so that's those are the things I think I'm looking forward to most. I'm James Ray. Um, age. How old am I? Am I 35? Yeah, 35. Um, I live in Ferndale, just north of Bellingham. And I work at Western Washington University as a professor in the music department. I remember we were having discussions about the orchestra festival, which was scheduled to happen right around the time uh, stay-at-home orders were starting to be issued in different parts of the country, uh, just before, like literally days before we got our own stay-at-home order in Washington. And I remember we were having discussions about that uh, within the music department. In other words, do we bring literally thousands of human beings from <laughs> from Western Washington into this petri dish of, of, of a building? Um, but I'm trying to remember around that time if there was also discussion of uh, moving courses online. Honestly, I don't know that there really was. In fact, um, I remember talking to a couple of my students just out in the courtyard uh, between the, the VU and um, and the PAC. Uh, and, you know, we were kind of speculating, gee, are, are they going to close school down? And if so, what do they do? And I remember we were having a conversation because none of us had any actual answers. And lo and behold, it was within, you know, 24, 48 hours of that conversation that um, school was canceled. 
uh, schools were closed. And so um, I think obviously at that point, then, then we began to discuss the online thing in earnest. Yeah. Um, what were your first thoughts or fears when things started shutting down and the stay-at-home order was put in place? What was that? It was so chaotic for everyone, but what was that like for you? You know, um, it was obviously bizarre, but I can't say it was anything like, I, I can't say it was unexpected. You know, just the way that things were unfolding and at that time, uh, the state of Washington was still leading the nation, yay, <laughs> in, in, in known infections. Um, and, and kind of the hotbed of that in the Everett area is just south of, of, of the campus here. And so for me, my thinking at the time was, you know, it's only a matter of time before they shut this whole thing down. Um, and, and sure enough, they did. So uh, not among my feelings when the announcement came, surprise was not one of them. Um, but it was one of, okay, <laughs> what are we going to do? Uh, and at that point we had, I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that was like the last week of classes for, for winter quarter. Yeah. I think it was last week of classes or just coming up on finals week, I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah right before spring break. Yeah. So I know the, there was obviously the immediate figuring out of how do we do finals when we're all at a distance here. And, um, we were coming up with different ideas. You know, do I offer the whole thing online? Do I allow students to come and meet me like in the open air and just pick up their paper and leave it on my office door? I mean, no, I mean, there were a lot of those discussions in the media before, you know, certainly before we knew nearly the, the extent, the amount of information that we, that we know now. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of just um, scrambling from, from everyone's perspective, you know, okay, well, what do we do? How do we finish this scene strong? And I don't know that it was a completely apparent thing to us in those first couple of days that spring quarter would end up being completely online as well. Um, I don't think that that was necessarily a foregone conclusion in everyone's mind. So I think a lot of our energy was just, okay, how do I take care of wrapping up winter quarter? This is weird. This is weird for everybody, including our students, who now have this added pressure of how do I finish out my classes, right? Um, so I'm trying to remember the timeline of events as we started hearing from people like the provost uh, and, and, and the incident command system or whatever they call ICS. Uh, but eventually it was determined that the spring quarter was going to be online and that as a result of uh, discussions between administration and faculty, they realized, you know, I mean, sure, we can do that. But I mean, as faculty who prepared these these courses for in person, you know, just kind of have that as a given, we can't necessarily just at the snap of a finger move all of that online. So that was a big reason behind the push to start spring quarter one week later than it would have started otherwise, because, you know, they the, the, the university recognized that we as, as teachers needed a chance to kind of try to switch this thing. And I know in my own experience, I mean, uh, that was just an enormous, enormous amount of work that really went through in the entirety of spring break. And then, of course, that first uh, week of, must have been the first week of April, um, just, you know, taking everything that I was teaching and including a music theory class, which I teach along with another, um, I, I teach a couple of sections and a colleague of mine teaches another one. So coordinating with as many people as, I, as possible, you know, um, grabbing resources from all over the from all over the place other universities seeing what they're doing figuring out the textbook situation and in and, and, and the courses i'm teaching students had to get a hold of instruments which they normally would have gotten from the department but you know i wasn't about to force students to go in and, and, and check out those instruments in that environment where they're closing the whole campus down anyway so then the question is well how do i get into so i mean that there was a lot of um there was a lot of just fire 
fire putting out, right? So much so that I don't think, certainly speaking for myself, I don't think I really had time to think about how in the long term the spring quarter was going to go. I was just thinking about, okay, how do I at least get my courses, you know, transferred over? So that, I mean, that was, that was what I was doing with me. And thinking about the kinds of challenges that present themselves, it's all challenging, don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. But there are different challenges depending on the nature of the course itself. And so Lauren's talking about what, what music teachers all over the place, you know, from K through college and everywhere else, uh, are, are, are wrestling with, with how do I have an orchestra or a choir or a band class and, and teach that with anything like authenticity online, right? Because one of the first things you realize about video conferencing, whether it's Zoom or Skype or any of them, is you can't have multiple people playing at once, you know? even if you were somehow able to mitigate the differences in sound quality coming from everyone's different equipment, uh, the timing just, the, 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 you can't synchronize the timing. It, the, there's always a lag of some kind. And so that doesn't lend itself well at all to the traditional uh, model of, you know, ensembles playing together as a group. And so I don't teach ensembles, so that's not one of the things I've had to wrestle with directly, but in conversations with others and seeing what people are doing. Um, They've had to get extremely creative with how with with how they do their ensemble classes. Uh, maybe they're they're doing more research of the music that they're that they're studying. Maybe they're bringing in uh, more guests and, and having you know the, these these other professionals come in and, and, and give their take. I know that's one of the things that happened that's happening with the orchestra. They've been bringing in uh, professional orchestral musicians and kind of having them discuss things like I don't know probably audition preparation, um, you know how to conduct yourself uh, w w within a professional setting and those kinds of things. Um, the classes I teach don't have those same kinds of challenges, certainly not to the extent. So uh, I'm teaching three classes. I'm teaching um, an upper string pedagogy class, so how to teach beginning violin and viola. Um, I am teaching a, uh, I'm teaching music theory, so I'm doing two sections of that, uh, which is a lot of the nuts and bolts and processes and concepts. And then I'm teaching a class, an independent study class uh, that was just kind of put together for a few students who, this is their last term on campus, so they needed to take care of this, this final class. Um, and none of those have the same kinds of issues that I would have if I were teaching a, a chamber ensemble or, or, or an orchestra. Um, with the pedagogy class, there's some of that, but that's just based on how I choose to teach the class. Uh, when I was teaching it in person, this another version of the class, I basically I treated the students like it what like they were going to pretend beginning violins and viola players, and I was modeling the kinds of teaching I would do in a first year class um, at, at the elementary school level, and then we'd have conversations about the teaching approaches and things like that. Well, I mean, therein you have that issue of simultaneous playing, right, in, in, in a group ensemble setting. So there was some of that, which, which I've kind of had to work around, but the major thrust of that class isn't so much teaching them how to play the instruments, certainly not how to play them as an ensemble member, but enough of the underlying skill to prepare them to, you know, if, if, they're, if they're given a situation where they have to go and teach a beginning class, just some of the building blocks that you would use for that, which I have able to actually been able to do fairly well, uh, combining just kind of lecture style things where they're playing, but they're not necessarily playing together. Maybe they have their mics on mute and I'm just kind of having them go through things and I can look for a lot of, uh, uh, for, for a lot of what I need. Um, and then also scheduling one-on-one -on -one meetings with, with each of them where they play something for me or they would, they would do a demonstration lesson, um, that kind of thing. So that is, you know, it's fairly doable. 
Uh, the theory class, I think, lends itself better than many kinds of music classes to online instruction because there is no there is no performance component in that. The point of the class is to learn to perform. The point of the class, uh, the theoretical and analytical skills is the name of the class. So you're, the, the idea is you're learning about um, how uh, how music that's you know common to, to the kinds of music we hear, how it's kind of put together. So um, a lot of the techniques and a lot of the, 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 the processes uh, that, that, that kind of make that music sound the way it does. And that you can certainly discuss in the abstract. We are doing a couple of synchronous uh, uh, meetings per week. Just and, and I did that really just to, um, one of the main reasons was to give, senses, uh, give students a sense of kind of security, continuity in terms of, um, I, I could possibly have done the entire thing asynchronously, but I think one of the things that we risk in, in this era of quarantine and stay at home is we risk that really human uh, uh, side of, of education and really any human endeavor, but, but this idea of connecting with other people. And it's one of the reasons that I'm among the people who really dislike the term social distancing Right. Uh, I, I absolutely think we should be doing physical distancing or some people call spatial distancing. But what can we do to mitigate the potential, the potentially potential downsides of not being around other human beings? So one of the reasons that all of my classes include at least some kind of uh, real time work over Zoom is just, you know, get, getting some close proximity to interacting with other people. So so that's one of the things with that. That is honestly one of the great blessings of this right now. Um, it was, it's been very difficult the last several years, I guess maybe difficult isn't the word. I've had to be very intentional and purposeful about making sure that, you know, my, my, my family didn't forget my face, <laughs> uh, just the, 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 the kind of work that I do requires so much time, so much energy, so much, um, uh, so much stuff that happens away from home. And even when I am home, hold up in a room working on something. Right. And so what one of the things this has done is it's given us a lot of time to just be a family. Uh, for whatever reason, for, for better or worse, uh, my daughters are, have yet to voice any complaint about not being in school for the rest of the school year. Uh, they've been pretty happy about that the entire time and just kind of learning you know, the, the, the kinds of learning things we're doing with them here. Um, playing with them more, going outside, taking walks, you know, just... Um, things that uh, we just have more time to do now that was harder to do. I'm, I'm not saying we didn't do it, it was, it was just harder before. Last time we had anything like this as, as, as a nation, as a world, was 100 years ago uh, with, with the influenza of 1918 or 19 or whatever it was. Um, this whole idea of for public health purposes, everyone is kind of cordoned off into their own. I mean, this is not, we, in, in our lifetimes, we have seen nothing like this. So, um, you know, we really don't have a reference point. And I certainly don't have a reference point for that. Um, the online learning thing, fortunately, online learning was a part of what I did in grad school for both my master's and doctoral programs. So even though I'd never taught an online class, um, I had some sense of maybe not what to do, but I guess I, I guess what I'm saying is it wasn't a completely and totally foreign concept to me. <laughs> so it's just a matter of adapting it now from the teacher's point of view. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's been easy by any means. I mean, I don't... I can't think of a time professionally when I've ever worked harder. <laughs> so aside from my work with the university, I, um, I am a, a faculty member for a summer stream workshop 
that's been taking place uh, in Port Angeles the last few, the last, I guess this will be our third summer, assuming it goes forward. Uh, but one of the things we've done with that is, uh, is, is, is organize weekly meetings with our students for that, mostly high school students, uh, some college students in there as well, um, where we said, you know what, maybe, we're, maybe just given the pandemic and all that, we won't necessarily wait until the summer to see you all. We can kind of start working on these things, putting our music together um, over Zoom and just kind of give us a give us a sense of something to kind of have, to just kind of have as part of our musical lives. So I, I do that on Friday afternoons. Um, other than that, a large, large portion of my time is spent just, you know, planning my classes, um, grading, lots and lots of grading, especially for the theory class. Um, you know, I, I do, I do video recorded lectures. I've done video recordings for uh, my upper string pedagogy class and for my theory class. But the theory class, I mean, there's such an, the upper string pedagogy class, I was able to do about half a dozen or so videos and things like that. Pretty straightforward stuff. So I kind of took care of all of that in one day before the quarter started. Um, but the theory class, it's it's pretty heavy. I mean, every week has about 30, 30 minutes to an hour's worth of lecture. So I kind of do those. That, that That's one of my weekend hobby <laughs> is, is I'm throwing together my uh, uh, my video lectures for theory. Um, and then the last few weeks, I've been forcing myself to take time where I'm not signing into Canvas, where I'm not necessarily looking at my work email or because there is always something to do. And and I think like all of us, I, I need to kind of keep an eye on my own um, uh, mental health, my own balance, and then just take time to just not. So, <laughs> so that that's yeah. what I'm doing. You know, uh, binging Netflix or doing some other like stupid mindless thing, because <laughs> I think that's important too. For grocery shopping, in a way that that that's brand new to us right now, we have gradually tapered off actually walking into any store of any kind, mask or not. Uh, fortunately, the area we live in, there's lots of options for uh, for curbside pickup. And so shopping for groceries that way, where we can order a couple of days in advance and the grocery stores have you uh, schedule a time. So that's fine. We schedule a time and then we go in their designated parking spots and then we, you know, let them know we're there. And then they, they bring out our stuff, load it in the car, we drive off. Um, so we've been doing a lot of that with, with shopping. Um, getting out and again, just taking walks. I mean, that's essential. You're breathing fresh air. <laughs> um, uh, other than that, you know, we don't really do anything that requires interacting with people in real time, like at all. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we had a good friend come by the other day and by come by, they stood at the end of our driveway. We stood at the other end of our driveway and we had about a five minute conversation and that was it. <laughs> and we've had other people who just kind of drive by in their cars and we'll talk to them that way. Um, so, I mean, those are the kinds of things that uh, I, I think are pretty important. Sometimes just going out for a drive, just going out just to drive just to you know <laughs> get out of this this environment you know those kinds of things yeah um what is the first thing you're looking forward to um doing when things go back to normal and you feel safe yeah well yeah and and, and, and that's a big contingency I, I i think we have to be at a place where order or no order we have to see that the conditions um that the conditions around health are such that it makes sense and at this point, I see a, I, I have a hard time seeing that happen any time before vaccine. Yeah. So, but that said, once we do get to that point, um, you know, I, I was talking about this with, with someone else the other day, that, that there's this really awesome uh, Greek food truck that, that, that shows up in Bellingham. And so they make this incredible, like, pork belly gyro. 
and so I'm looking forward to one of those to, to, to getting some of those things too. Uh, looking forward work-wise, just looking forward to being on campus when, when, when the circumstances permit, being around other people, just kind of being in that environment, um, not just where, where I work in the music department, but just around campus where you have folks who are there for a certain goal, who, who, are, who are excited about what the, the future can hold, or I think especially about our, the young adults, right? Um, who populate our campuses are just just so much energy so much uh, freshness so much um uh, so much to look forward to and and that's something that really just uh delights me about the western student body just being around that literally just walking the campus and and and, and having that energy around me um i very much look forward to that mm -hmm.